Welcome to Human, an Accenture podcast about workforce potential and the future of work. We record this episode during a week which has been painful for many and eye-opening for others. In cities around the world, people are demonstrating in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now is not a time for silence. It is the time for all of us to come together and demonstrate our respect, understanding and solidarity for each other and to work hard to make a meaningful difference. With this in mind, we will be dedicating future episodes on inclusion and diversity. And we believe that a truly human workplace culture must be one where all of us are heard, where our experiences are honoured and our cultures celebrated. We need to have meaningful dialogue on race and ethnicity across the business and how to lead with courage in these difficult times. In the context of building a truly human culture which brings out the best in all of our people, we must not lose sight of the fact that black people are disproportionately more likely to die from COVID-19, as well as suffer from systemic and institutional racism. I hope to listen and learn from these conversations and I hope you find them useful. The images of peaceful demonstrators speaking up while wearing masks reminds us that we are still in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. And while we are all experiencing this moment in our own ways, it's certainly fair to say that this is a stressful and uncertain time for so many of us, both at home and at work. An organisation's commitment to inclusion, respect and understanding has never been more important, as well as a renewed focus on mental health in the workplace. I'm very pleased to welcome Barbara Harvey to the podcast. Barbara leads Accenture's research programme, focusing on diversity and inclusion and mental health in organisations. Barbara also heads Accenture's internal mental health allies, a network of over 2,000 trained volunteers who help to end stigma and assist our colleagues in accessing resources to support their mental health and wellbeing. Barbara joins me remotely from London. Barbara, thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. Thank you very much for asking me and for including this topic on your podcast at this particular time in our lives. I know it's been a very challenging year, to say the least, and and we will definitely touch on how um, 2020 so far has changed the landscape for mental health. Barbara, you lead our research um, division within Accenture. You've done a lot of research on mental health, um, as well as inclusion and diversity within organisations. We know that there has always been a mental health crisis. Um, What are some of the myths and misconceptions that you've uncovered through your research about mental health in the workplace? Back before COVID-19 even had a name, um, we conducted some research to get a better understanding of the mental health of workers in the UK. Um, First, we asked them about their personal experience of mental health, and we found that 69% of workers have personally experienced a mental health challenge at some point during their lives. That figure rises to 77% among younger workers, those under 30, and all the way up to 84% among our LGBT colleagues. We then asked them about their friends, their friends and their family, and whether anyone close to them had experienced a mental health challenge. And 88% said yes. Now, when you put those two figures together, what you see is that 92% of workers have been touched by mental health in some way. That's nine in 10, not the one in four that we often read about in the media. It's all of us 
and that was before COVID-19. And if I take just one aspect of those figures that really worries me, it is the aspect of people's experience with suicide. So we found that 41% of people have contemplated the idea, considered or had suicidal thoughts and feelings. Again, that rises amongst the young up to 48%, but reaches 65% among our LGBT colleagues. 65% of LGBT colleagues having a suicidal thought or feeling is a really quite extraordinary feeling. And, and that's why mental health is so important, because if it goes wrong, it can lead you to a place where nobody wants to go. And it's incredibly important that we talk about mental health. And one of the myths you alluded to is that it is getting easier to talk about mental health. And kind of in a way it is. If you talk to particularly our Gen Zs, they're pretty comfortable with the topic of mental health and, and opening up about it. However, that might be true for them outside work with their friends and maybe their family. But when you bring it into the work context, they're much more hesitant. What we see is that six out of 10 workers don't say anything about their mental health when they're at work. And that, again, rises to its highest point amongst the young. The, those under 25 are actually the least likely to open up and tell you. People are scared. When you ask people why they don't want to talk about their mental health, they're worried. They're worried that, about what others might think. Um, they feel ashamed. Um, they fear people's reaction. Uh, in the workplace, they're particularly worried about how it will impact their career, their promotion chances. You know, will they get the opportunity to do that great project? Will they get the chance to you know, apply for promotion if somebody thinks that they've got a problem with their mental health? There's a huge amount of stigma still in this area that we really need to overcome. Fully, fully agree. And, you know, those those statistics are quite harrowing. And I think, you know, part of talking about mental health is also facing into the size and scale of the problem. Um, I mean, 65 percent of LGBT people having experienced suicidal thoughts and feelings is it, it's ridiculous. More likely than not is essentially what that statistic is saying. Um, so absolutely agree that, that that sort of facing into it and, and being able to talk about it openly is incredibly important, as well as the scale. I guess another misconception that that people might have is that work in itself can sometimes be bad for mental health. This can be true in some circumstances. You know, we talk about stress at work and work-life balance, but of course it's it's often a little bit more nuanced than that. What are some of the reasons for um, mental health issues. It, it's not always sort of triggered by work in itself, is it? Well, that's a great question, because in fact, work can often be very positive for your mental health. You know, if you think about it, when we go to work, it gives us a sense of fulfillment and achievement, a sense that we have a purpose in our lives. And also, if brings money <laughs> and having money and security is also a very positive thing for our mental health. Now, when it comes to stress, it is indeed a very nuanced uh, concept to think about. So you can't see me, but in my hand, I'm holding a glass of water. And at the moment, my glass of water is about a third full. And if you imagine that that glass is your capacity to handle stress, everything that happens to you in your life adds a little bit of water to the glass if it is stressful. And right now, I think our glasses are already quite full. With everything that's been going on in the world around COVID-19 and sheltering at home, 
with the events in the US this week around George Floyd, I think we're all feeling quite a strong baseline of stress anyway. And then everything else that happens to us at home and at work tops up that water just a little bit more. So maybe it's a project at work where the deadline is brought forward and it suddenly becomes more urgent. Maybe it's a difficult conversation that you had to have. Maybe you're worried about someone at home, someone who you're worried about getting sick. Every time another stress is added, a little bit more water is added to your glass. And the really challenging thing for all of us is to make sure that we don't overflow our glasses. Eustress, which is the, the positive stress that we can experience, is where we want to be. And we can all cope with a bit more. We can all cope with a little bit of stretch now and again. What we don't want to do is let that tip over into what we would call strain. And then ultimately towards what we would see as a nervous breakdown or burnout of some kind or another. And I think at work, the challenge for us all is that we have to get used to get comfortable with having conversations where we talk about our whole selves, not just about what's going on at work, because that amount of water you have in your glass can vary because of what's going on at home as well as what's going on at work. Now, sometimes it's really great to take on a very stressful project. And that challenge is what you're looking for in life to grow, to develop, uh, and to really build your skills. Another time, if your glass is very full because something else is going on at home, even one little task can tip you over the edge. So it's those kinds of open conversations we want to encourage by building that trust and that environment of support around mental health in the workplace. Thank you, Barbara. And I, I, I think it's a really helpful way of um, understanding, you know, the, the analogy of the glass, the metaphor of the glass is a really helpful way of understanding um, how we manage stress and make sure that it doesn't move into strain or even into a nervous breakdown, as you said. And I think in light of a very challenging 2020 that we've had so far, as well as stresses at home and at work, dare I say it, stresses across the world, and some of the big changes and news stories that we're seeing are undoubtedly impacting people both at work and at home. So in light of a very challenging 2020 so far, what are some of the new challenges that, that organisations are facing? How has 2020 shaped um, or impacted um, our understanding of mental health? Are we seeing new themes and new trends um, as a result of what's been going on? It's hardly surprising that our mental health has suffered a little bit uh, over these past few months. I mean, if you imagine it, workers across the world found their lives turned upside down. Um, health workers had to prepare to care for patients with a really infectious new disease that we didn't really even understand. Office workers like us were sent home in their thousands. Just to give you a figure from the UK to illustrate that, in 2019, about 5% of the UK's workforce worked mainly from home. Today, 60% do, six zero. And of course, if you're a key worker, you're not able to shelter at home. You have to continue to go out to work. You had to adapt almost overnight to this new workplace rules of social distancing, wearing masks, constant hand washing and attention to hygiene. People found themselves separated from their families, maybe isolated in a small flat on their own, um, homeschooling kids. Um, one night when I came back from the supermarket trip and was sort of exasperatedly describing what it was like to be out there, my daughter said, 
since when did shopping become a gold medal sport? But that's what it felt like. Um, it's really tough out there right now. And I can't imagine what our black colleagues are going through this week. Um, the emotion that I've heard from some of my colleagues is almost unbearable to take. And the strain on them must be absolutely considerable. But in fact, it's really difficult to get any hard data on the impact of COVID-19 on our mental health. But there's a few things that give us some clues. And again, forgive me, I, I'm pulling a little bit from the UK because that's obviously where I sit. But in the UK, um, a survey of the population suggested that around 50% of people reported high levels of anxiety. We've seen messages from the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, warning of the impact of the situation on our mental health. And within Accenture, I've been using um, a little tool to kind of gauge the emotions and the feelings of my own team and, and some of the people around the world that I get to talk to. And what do you see when you look at a word cloud, when you say, how are you feeling today? In that word cloud, the words stressed and anxious, and increasingly as time goes on, the word tired and exhausted are the words that loom large in the middle of the page. It is a really, really challenging environment for us right now at the moment. I mean, if you just think about what's happened to us in the context of our work and our lives, you know, homes became offices and schools. We had our grandparents and parents teaching them how to use workplace tools. Um, we've been working with social media on you know, communities where neighbours can ask for volunteers or, or can volunteer to help. Video calls have become so routine that we've stopped putting on our best clothes and brushing our hair before we turn the camera on. And, and, and the new killer application is the weekly pub quiz or uh, the family round table. You know, we've seriously really changed the way we work. And for businesses, becoming a digital business where you know, the resilience of technology and the ability of workers to do their jobs securely from kitchens and bedrooms is actually making the difference between being able to carry on or not. So it's really added to that whole sense of how we manage in this world. And I think at the moment, when you ask people how they're feeling at the end of a day working and living like this, is they're tired, it's exhausting to spend your time online all day. And we really do need to be helping people understand how to manage themselves and manage them how to work in this world where you're working online, connecting through video conferencing, never being far from your email and not having the end of that formal day. So yeah, we've got a, we've got a lot to learn about how to manage our mental well-being in this very challenging environment. And I think it's it's interesting that there's, you know, undoubtedly a collective sense of of, of stress, as as your um, as your recent uh, polls and research have have perhaps unsurprisingly brought to the surface, how do organisations take into account the fact that you know this the impact of this is so wide ranging, but also the fact that many of us have different types of experiences during a crisis. We've heard a lot about um, organisations also looking to the future, for example, and, and, what, and you know, using this as an opportunity to reshape the new normal. So both during the crisis and you know, hopefully once it's, it's over, as we look to what the new normal looks like, how do we acknowledge that, that everybody is under a level of strain, but also shape that future in a way that takes into account 
your individual feelings and experiences and expectations? Mm, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think let's start with a bit of a sort of thinking about how we set a framework for managing through the crisis. And then we'll think about how we take that forward into a slightly different world out there. If we think about managing during this particular moment, I like to think of kind of five principles that help guide us and help us think about the people who are in very different situations. I think the first one is the power of the leader and the humanity of the leader. When we did our research back in November, we were able to look at the difference that organisations can make to people's mental well-being. And we did that by measuring how supportive the environment that they were working in was. So I might work in an environment that was very supportive. Someone else might be in an environment that was not supportive at all. And we could compare the difference in those two, those two situations. And there's a huge difference. So in more supportive environments, individuals in the UK were 40% less likely to say they had a recent mental health challenge. So the incidence of recent mental health conditions actually falls away in, an, in a supportive environment. And you see that same figure of the drop um, in almost every aspect that we look at. So, for example, how people are able to cope with their mental health challenges at work. So if they have a mental health challenge, how do they cope at work? Well, they cope significantly better, almost twice as well in those supportive environments. And those environments are really driven by the leaders. So if you ask about the, what a leader looks like, 88% of people in a supportive organisation will describe their leaders as open, warm and human when it comes to mental health. Only 5%, 5% describe their leader like that in the least supportive organisations. So that first principle is you lead with humanity with openness, with warmth, around the support that you give people around mental health. You make it safe for them to talk about that glass of water and where they are in terms of stress and everything else that's going on in their lives. The second thing you can do is you can think about empowerment. In this world, we've had a lot of control taken away from us. Uh, we can't control where we work anymore. We can't control in many places whether we can go out or the circumstances in which we can go out and for how long. We can't control who we meet. We can't necessarily control the food we can buy or the quantities of food that we can buy. All that control has been taken away from us. We know that having a sense of control over your life is one of the most important factors for good mental health. So what we can do with our employees is think about how do we empower them? How do we give them back a little bit of a sense that they have some control over their lives? Today, it's about enabling people or making sure people understand that it's OK to work how, they, how and when they can. You know, for some of the people in my team, uh, they're balancing the, ch the care of children. So they may be doing two hours on and two hours off with their partners sharing the care of the kids and the homeschooling of the kids while COVID-19 is happening. Others need time during the day to go out and shop because they're shopping for an elderly relative who can't get out for themselves. So if we can give them that sense of empowerment and that sense of control back, that's amazing. And that's important when we come to talk about the return to work and, and the future world. 
Thirdly is about knowledge. Most people come into the workplace, particularly those who are older, come into the workplace with almost no understanding of how do you take care of your mental health. And we can do a great deal to inform and educate people and help them build their resilience and manage their stress. You know, at Accenture, we have rolled out a training called Thriving Minds, developed with Arianna Huffington's Thrive Organization and Stanford Medical School. It's really research and science led as a piece of training. And it's all about how do you build resilience? And we were lucky enough to be able to roll that out right at the beginning of this whole crisis and encourage people to develop their skills about their own resilience. That's really positive thing that you can do. Fourthly, it's really vital that everyone has access to practical support. Now in Accenture, we're incredibly lucky. Everyone in Accenture has access to an employee assistance program line. It's a helpline at the end of which you can get advice. The actual uh, resources that we have available to us do vary from country to country uh, with the different kind of health services that we have. But having that knowledge of where do you go to get help and advice? How do you get support? Our allies program uh, in Accenture overall, we have over four and a half thousand mental health allies, people you can go to to talk and get advice and help and support from. Um, those organizations that aren't maybe big enough or lucky enough to have their own organizations in-house, what the employer can do is help signpost people to the resources that are out there in the, in the health services and beyond. And I think the last of my five points or my five principles that I think are important right now is to say thank you. You know what? It's incredible when I look around me in Accenture. I look around me and every day I chat to people who are working in the most extraordinary situations. You know, uh, this morning, one of my team was sitting on the end of a bed because his wife had a, a call that was very important and she'd taken the desk for that morning and, and he got the bed. You know, other people are working with family all around them. Um, other people are sitting on their own in a flat in the middle of London or the middle of New York with nobody there. They haven't been able to see people for many weeks. And yet, you know what? Most of them are working, doing something, helping us, helping our clients stay safe, stay well, keep the business rolling in this really, really difficult time. And we've got to recognize how absolutely amazing that is. Now, when we think about those five principles, we start to think about the return to work and the new normal that is going to happen. Um, there was a wonderful uh, quote in one of our pieces of research uh, recently, which says something along the lines of, if I can do it online, I will. <laughs> if I can do it online, I will. This sense that the future is going to be a very virtual future. Um, maybe it will be called the virtual century. And that's going to mean that we're doing things in a very different way to the way we've done it before. And for some people, they're going to love that. Um, when my children were young, I would have loved nothing more than to have worked from home. It would have been the flexibility I needed. Luckily enough, I did have lots of flexibility, but to work from home then would have been a dream for me. Right now, when my children are grown up, it's a bit lonely at home. <laughs> and I really like getting out to the office. So um, what I would love to see companies working around is actually to create workplace options. So for some, the flexibility to work from home all the time, for others, the chance to come and meet colleagues and socialize in the office. Now, that's gonna take some time because of course our physical health comes first, but I hope we will explore a really flexible 
new way with lots of different ways in which we can work rather than the standard nine to five in the office. Thank you so much, Barbara. I completely, uh, completely agree. And I, 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 I hear you when you talk about, you know, things getting a little bit lonely. It's the same with me. I'm, I can't, you know, go and see my parents or, or my grandmother at the moment. Um, so I'm sharing my flat with my, my lovely flatmate who works at another company. Um, but you know, you do, I, I, I appreciate that, um, vulnerability that you just showed there I guess around feeling a little bit lonely and I personally do miss you know going into the office and seeing people and being able to grab a coffee off the cuff with somebody but I've fully acknowledged that I've spoken to clients who have actually said wow this is what having breakfast without rushing feels like you know during the week um, and just really enjoying the fact that they're able to sit down and and have a meal and then not have to worry about jumping yeah. on public transport um, so yeah. it, we're all very different, aren't we? And, you know, for some of my team, they love to go out and exercise. And um, when you're commuting an hour or so into London, that's difficult to fit in in your day. Now, the, recruit, rec the daily commute is replaced with a run or a cycle ride or actually, for me, a walk up in the woods. So, you know, there's some really positive things to come out of this. And it's really about how we can hold on to the positive um, and create more options for people as, as time goes on, I think. If you and your teams are interested in more of the latest thinking on leadership and culture, I'd like to recommend another one of our Accenture podcasts. Talking Agility takes an in-depth look at enterprise agility from every angle. My friend and colleague Alitza Necheva hosts. Her guests are leading experts on this topic and they join her in conversation from around the globe. Talking Agility is now in its second season and can be found at Accenture.com forward slash Talking Agility or on your favourite podcast channel. And I also really found your, your as part of your five point sort of plan, the, the warmth and human aspect of leadership to be particularly relevant to, to some of the episodes that we're discussing on this podcast. Um, we have an episode in the series that talks about love and compassion at work and how leaderships who show leadership teams who show love and compassion at work um, will certainly get the return on investment in that. Um, so I found that particularly resonating and and certainly in the moments where I have felt a little bit lonely or I've, I've somebody has come to me to say that they're struggling with stress, having that open conversation um, and, and showing some level of support, you suddenly feel a little bit more ready to give more to work. Suddenly my my glass of water can sort of take a little bit extra. Um, so, so yes, I fully agree. Um, okay, so the, the five steps incredibly useful way for organizations to to approach mental health at work do you know of any organizations that are leading on this at the moment so i think many organizations are beginning to step up and address the issue of mental health at work i'm very proud of what we're doing here at accenture with our program here um, and i call out many things about our program but a lot of it is about open and honest conversations and the ability to talk about what is happening in your in your lives uh, last night i listened to the global webcast you referred to in your opening remarks uh, where we had our ceo our chief hr officer uh, the head of the organization for europe for the uk all on the call with our um, colleagues from the african caribbean network talking really openly about the impact that the George Floyd uh, death has had on them. 
that's an open and honest conversation. And it really helps you realize that the people who are experiencing right, that right now, their mind is not necessarily in a place where they want to focus on the next project deadline or, or, or think about putting something into their performance tool. Their mind is somewhere else right now. So I think that creating that environment is incredibly important for people to do. Um, I work a lot with Unilever. Unilever uh, works with me on, um, on something called the Occlusion Economy Partnership. It's a UK initiative, a UK government initiative around workplace mental health. And I've loved watching what they are doing. I particularly love one of their mantras. They have a, a mantra that they use within the organisation that you're only one click away from help. So one phone call, one click. You pick up the phone, you, you click on an icon on your desktop. And at the end of that is someone who can support you around your mental health. I think that's wonderful. I, I also did a presentation recently with some colleagues from Mondelez. And they were talking about their new mental health program. And I was super impressed with the way they began their program with a really, really intensive audit of what they were doing at the moment and how it was working. So they contacted, they, they talked to all of their employees about what it felt like there, about what they knew about the provision that they had. And then they really began to tailor what they were offering to their employees, the program they were building to really fit with that. And then they measured that or they plan to measure that again to see how they're doing against those objectives. So those are the kinds of things that I've seen organisations do. But it's really about starting with that conversation. Um, if you can get the conversation going, if you can really you know, shake that taboo that we've had around this topic for so, so long, that gets it off the ground. That's the way to, to start the conversation. And I think that from some of the examples that you've mentioned, the the sort of the level of commitment you know one click away from help sort of the the, the narrative there from Unilever it, it really sort of encompasses how ready the organization is to have that conversation and and from the the first example of you know our African Caribbean network discussing Black Lives Matter with with our you know global and regional leadership team it was the right it was the, the perfect mix of you know leadership being there to listen and commit and then having authentic voices to to speak about things, frankly. Another example that I found really interesting and, and you know, one that, that is quite technology focused is um, here from in the UK from Nationwide, a financial services firm for, for our global listeners. Um, and Nationwide has launched a, an online tool called Kinder. Um, and Kinder is an online platform that connects its 18,000 or so different employees who are currently self-isolating or in need of support with a trusted network of volunteers that listen or lend a hand. And I think they've already had hundreds of volunteers sign up to that platform. So an interesting sort of bridge between, you know, addressing mental health, but in a way that I think in the current climate is, is particularly applicable, right? That's sort of a virtual way of doing so. Um, I work with the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on technology and mental health. And the evidence for how, just how powerful technology could be to help us uh, scale healthcare in the mental health sector is truly phenomenal. At the moment, we estimate that worldwide, about two in three people with a mental health challenge get no help. And even in the more wealthy countries like the US, the UK, only about 50% actually get help for that right now. 
there's a massive treatment gap. How do you fill that in a way that's affordable and accessible? How can companies scale what they offer? And technology has an amazing ability to do that. I'll give you just one other example, perhaps at slightly more the, the far end of the spectrum, but um, there's a really interesting program being run around veterans, um, veterans who potentially uh, come away from their experiences with mental health conditions, and often uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and they've developed a machine learning, an AI-based machine learning program that effectively listens to their voices. It's not listening to their words, what they're saying. It's listening to the tone, the phrasing, and so on. And they're able to detect when someone's mental health is declining, when they might be at risk of having a particularly difficult episode with a post-traumatic stress disorder. And then that enables an intervention to be made before it becomes really traumatic for them. And that kind of technology is being developed to help monitor others who've been through traumatic experiences and to enable early intervention and to spot relapses. Um, you mentioned platforms. Um, and New Zealand, for example, uh, recently launched uh, an amazing platform for all of its people at the start of COVID-19. Um, the power of technology to provide interventions at scale, at a reasonable cost, remotely. Think about a war zone. You, know, you can provide um, uh, support for people's mental well-being in a safe place and yet feed it into a war zone where people desperately need access to that kind of support. So, um, yeah, we could talk for a very, very long time about, I think, what is a really, really exciting development uh, in, in mental health care. And I think it, it deserves some time, Barbara. So perhaps we'll do a follow up episode that looks at specifically at the potential for technology to to support um, support mental well-being across the world. I think those were fascinating examples. And I think it's really interesting, you know, contrast, you know, when you contrast that to or compare that, sorry, to some of the narrative that we see around always being connected, always being online as the sort of the negative or the dark side of that. So I think amplifying the potential and opportunity that technology brings is is, is where we should shift our focus. Um, throughout the human podcast series, as we bring different episodes to our listeners, we very much like to spend some time talking about the business value behind that particular topic and often behind building a human culture. Why should organisations care about the mental well-being of their workers? Apart from just being the right thing to do, and I, I strongly caveat that as in any way sort of implying that that's not a good enough reason. But I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is there's a business case for this, right? An astounding business case for mental health and mental well-being in particular. There is absolutely a business case for this. Globally, it's been estimated that the cost of not improving the way we handle mental health is going to be around 16 trillion dollars by 2030. Uh, in the UK we had a, a big review uh, called the Stevenson Farmer Review done by the government and they estimated the cost to businesses of being between somewhere like 32 and 45 billion a year and a lot of that about half of that came from presenteeism so people being at work but not being at their best. In the research that I do as part of my inclusion and diversity role, I focus around workplace culture and I look at what workplace culture does to our lives and to the way we work. 
And in that, we see that when you create a culture, which is a positive culture where people can thrive, be themselves, feel accepted, in those cultures, what you see is everybody does better. So women, for example, are four times more likely to advance to senior manager in those supportive cultures. Um, men twice as likely, LGBT professionals three times as likely. So when you create those cultures, you kind of unlock people's potential, they're able to be at their best. Now look at what that then brings to the organization. So we've been able to measure something we call innovation mindset in this ever-changing world where they're, what is the expression, never normal. Um, we need innovation more than ever. It's going to be a very important application for, for companies to think about. And in those same more supportive environments, exactly the same more supportive environments, what we see is that individuals are six times more likely to have a strong innovation mindset. So their ability and willingness to be innovative is six times stronger in those more supportive organizations. So when you create environments where people feel good, where people belong, um, you really do create an environment which is brilliant for people and brilliant for business. So the business case to me is absolutely watertight. And you know, I would just urge anyone who's ever had any doubts about whether or not it's a good thing to do to read some of that material uh, and to go out there and start to change the way their organization is from the roots upwards. Thank you, Barbara. And we'll make sure when we publish our blog to support this episode that we'll give sight of some of the leading research that 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 shows this and, and, and much of the research that you've led um, for our clients and beyond. And, and I fully agree from a personal level around, you know, maximising my potential at work when I feel comfortable and I feel supported. Um, and I've I've had my own mental health challenges that I've spoken about openly with teams and with people at Accenture. Um, and also it's it's very nice when you build a relationship with with your client where that that's also a conversation that you're able to have together as well. So beyond business value and the undoubtable business case behind building that sort of culture and focusing on mental health interventions in particular, I wonder if you'd share with our listeners why you went into mental health as a as a focus area and what this means to you personally. So about six years ago, uh, was the point at which I really started to think about mental health very, very significantly. And it really came about because two things happened to me at once. One was around my younger daughter. Uh, my younger daughter developed something which we now know as obsessive compulsive disorder. And during her sort of mid-teens, she became really quite seriously ill with it. And it was an extraordinarily worrying time for us as parents. Um, Similarly, I was with a, a colleague of mine, we were traveling um, over in Spain when she became very ill with her own mental health. And, you know, at the time, I remember just thinking neither of them wanted to talk about it. Both of them were terrified at the reaction of their friends, of work, um, and they held back from getting help because they were too scared to go out into the open and to speak about it. Yet I know, I know personally, that once we got the support, once we went and talked to professionals, um, for my younger daughter, it was like a massive turning point. And, you know, we didn't meet the scary white man in the coat that we thought we would. We met this really empathetic, professional, experienced, knowledgeable 
doctor who was able to guide us to the right treatment and to help us turn her path around. Um, so for me, watching people struggle, um, not knowing, um, not wanting to share their stories, not wanting to get help. And for me personally, having no idea what to do, that really led to some conversations with other colleagues in similar mindsets as I was at the time. And we set out our sort of two ambitions for the programme that we started up in, in the UK, which was to make it safe for everyone to talk about their mental health. And secondly, that everyone would know where to go to get help for their colleagues. And that's what I've been focused on with my amazing team that I work with for the last uh, six or so years. And thank thank goodness for for you and your amazing team because I can certainly vouch for the you know the culture that 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 has been built up and sustained at Accenture um, and the impact that that's had on our people. So on a personal note, I thank you for helping us with that. Um, and also, I'd like to to thank you for sharing your wisdom, leadership, and insights with with myself and our listeners um, alongside your personal reflections. So. Thank you very much, Barbara. Very insightful. And I really hope that we bring you on for another episode on the podcast and perhaps we look at some of the opportunities that, that technology can bring for mental health. Well, thank you very much for having me in the call and everyone who's listened to it. It is a topic I'm very passionate about. So I really appreciate the chance to talk about it and to try and make it, as I say, safe for us all. Um, and, and thank you for your support and your interest. Our guest today has been Barbara Harvey. Managing Director within Accenture Research. As we develop our programming for the upcoming season of Human, Unlocking Workforce Potential, I would love to hear about the issues that are most important and meaningful to you in the workplace. If you've enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and like and rate the podcast and share it with colleagues. I'm Jengis Bessim and thank you for listening. <laughs>